I'm Holiday. I'm Taraday. I'm Independence Day. Oh, a microphony. And a phony at the mic. Get Whoa! Ah. <laughs> and now, on with the opera. Let joy be unconfined. Let there be dancing in the streets, drinking in the saloons, and necking in the parlor. Play, Don. Would you welcome Mr. Warm? Picture it. <laughs> Sicily, 1912. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to an exciting and fun-filled episode of Killers, Cults, and Nutjobs 2.0, where we cover all crime. I'm, as always, your host, the great white snark, Scotty J., and seated across from me is the lovely and twisted Monica. Hi! Thanks for bearing with us last week, folks. I had two teeth pulled, and I was not in the mood to talk. And I was um, at the theater watching Scream the day before it came out. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> what's what sucked with you know you're having fun. I'm sitting in a dentist chair, hearing a tooth bust in my mouth. Yeah, I was. Why well, asked you first? Though I was like, "Hey, would be a problem." Right. Was really, it was more I was telling you, like, "I'm not going to be available. I'm going to be." <laughs> well, if you would have seen like the, the the right side of my mouth, it was really swollen for a few days. I mean, it, it's it still is. It's going down, but the, the, I don't know what we need to invent a way where we can just pop our teeth out like dentures. Hand them to the dentist so he can work on them when we feel no pain. Yeah, it's called dentures. <laughs> yeah, well, I said they're you know like dentures, but like, but it's like yeah, that's the only way it's going to be able to happen. Because so. I'm sitting in. First of all, I hate needles. And the, the he comes at you with this big like 18th 19th century syringe for the Novocaine. It's all metal. Uh-huh. It's got the two little rings there to, you know, I hate, to, I, I just hate the Novocaine and the, the clamp looks medieval. It looks like a, it looks like a, a rib splitter. Uh-huh. So I had one on the top that had gotten a cavity. Well, then not too long afterward, the, the whole front just fell off. So it was like a, a nub. Mm-hmm. Cool. So I thought that was going to be the that was going to be the one that was going to give him the problem. No, he fucking slit. Sorry, he slits my gum, wiggles it up there, pops it out, no problem. Yeah, I'm looking at yeah. your face as I'm explaining. Uh-huh, yeah, medieval this is one YouTube would actually kind of be useful. But uh, right. Well, well, well actually, I, I have a folder saved where all of um all of our Zoom. Don't even. Videos are <laughs> no. saved, so I might actually see if I could find a way to. Um... I think I need to like sign a like a form saying it's okay. <laughs> if I didn't do, oh my god, they tried to do that in college. I was like, after my, I had run like cross campus with my yoga mat and my all stuff, and they were taking promotional, you know, pictures. And stuff and so there's a picture out there of you running yeah, in the because background. i refused to sign the like oh. release and the class was it wasn't like it was like a seminar class so i could usually get there so late i ended up out in the hallway anyway 
or like little like semi like closet old closet area and i mean i was like holding the papers up my face you know i was trying to do everything and he asked like oh you didn't sign the release form I'm like i'm not going to i'm like i literally if anybody had gone to temple i had to cross broad street and then i had to run up to anderson on the ninth floor Ooh. so yeah whoever you know hopefully any other temple people they, are uh... my besties listening yeah, you know, they they put that. Went, which actually met her that semester too, so she knows exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, they, I was they, like, nobody's getting a picture of me and sending it to some high school out in California. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, they put the clamp on the tooth because uh, they use this like weird looking clamp to pull your teeth out. Uh-huh. I got my eyes closed. I'm trying to take a nap in this thing. <laughs> You're like, just let me die. It's like. I, I worked. I worked until my lunch hour that day, and I just cut out at lunch because my appointment yeah. was right at right after I would have got off lunch. Mm-hmm. So he's got the clamp. He's trying to pull. All of a sudden, I hear it, the tooth break, uh, and I feel pieces of tooth fly uh, through my mouth. And then he's like, "Oops, it broke." You don't want. To- Oh my. I'm like, I want to say really? Yeah. So then he had to like dig in the mouth to, to get the rest of I'm just, I'm just like, just, oh, just, just, just yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm next, like, next, I don't care about next time something like this yeah. happens, put me under anesthesia. Give, give me the night. Yeah, that's like beyond Novocaine. Well, that's why I don't like, because I've had like the Novocaine and I've had like without it. And frankly, the needle from the Novocaine was worse than, like, getting the cavity oh, yeah. filled. The pain was worse. So I'm like, no, I don't need to... Just, just... Especially now, after having James being induced for all that pain. Thank you very much. I do not need it. Just, just give me... Like, just, just, like, yeah. Give me the nitrous oxide. Knock me out. Uh-huh. All right, folks. Enough of my torture. Which we'll have more, like, true crime update stuff this is You're right this is uh, update first and after so we're not going to extend this even longer than we than have, have right we've got a good one today we are going to talk about the co-ed serial killer my man ed kemper so proud well the thing ed is i'm, I'm ed is a smart criminal i mean he is what we'll find out. Ed is, Ed is smart. Mm-hmm. He knows what he's doing, and he just. I, those of you who might have seen Mindhunter on Netflix. He was in the first season. I said, even with that, I actually like, I don't know as much about him as Ed was like, one of those that kind of kind of flew under the radar. Yeah, he, he was in that weird period right after Manson. And right before Bundy. So he complete with, well, when he got out. Hey, he beat them all, right? He's still, yeah, he's still, he's still alive. Yeah. So, hey, good for you. You survived uh, Manson and Bundy. Right. He's, he's still alive. He's, um, last picture I saw of him, he looks like a guy I used to hang out with when I was a teenager. Okay. Well, the dates don't match. So obviously it's not. No, with- but, um. He he doesn't grant interviews anymore. He just wants to be left alone in prison. 
We can do that. <laughs> uh, yeah, we can leave that alone. Uh-huh. Yeah. Except anyway, that's what he wants though. So but the other way. Right. right. But the thing is, is Ed doesn't cause problems in prison. He just mm-hmm. does what he's told and too bad he's gonna do that outside of prison, right? <laughs> well, actually, I, I have uh, I have a quote here from him. I have this book called uh, Ed Kemper Conversations with a Killer. Mm-hmm. And in He's got a bunch of uh, quotes. Um, where's where's the one that? Uh, oh, I was supposed to see my parole officer every other week and a social worker the other week. I never did. I think if I had, I would have made it. Well, yeah, I'm talking about you know again to, even before he would need a parole officer. Well, um. I think it was. I think he was supposed to see a parole officer after he, he killed his grandparents. That's what I'm saying. If we could have gotten to like before, right. before all this, you know. Well, um, now that we've given away the whole podcast, well, right. So. Well, uh, I mean, good night, folks. <laughs> well, Ed's been covered by a lot of people. He's uh, oh, well, yeah. Well, I Ed is. I, I could say Ed is Ed, but he he's he's an interesting person to say the least. Mm-hmm. So we're going to get into it. Edmund Emil Kemper the Third. Oh God, he's there's two others ahead of him. He was born on December eighteenth, nineteen forty eight, to his father Ed Kemper the Second and his wife Clarnell Kemp. There's a good name for you. That's a name that needs to come back, Clarnell. I think my next girlfriend's gonna be named Clarnell. Clarabelle the cow. Uh oh, I thought you were gonna go with Clarabelle the clown from uh, Howdy Doody. Yeah, well, you know, Clara I figured, yeah, maybe a cow instead, you know. Right. Oh, wasn't she um the Bordens? No. There was there was some dairy company that had a clow a cow as their mascot that was named Clarabelle. Yeah. You keep reading, I'll find it. <laughs> he was the third child and the only son of the couple. They had two daughters older than Ed, and then they decided to have another kid, because why the hell not? But she was a daughter, too. If Ed had a happy childhood, he might have had a chance in life. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. Now, Ed Jr., or Ed Sr., Ed Second was a World War II combat veteran who served with the Special Forces Unit. So you know that man saw some action if he was with the Special Forces in World War II. When the war was over, he came home and settled into life as an electrician. Clarnell felt that she married beneath her station in life and henpecked Ed to uh, Daddy Ed for being an electrician. Apparently, she wanted a suit-and-tie husband over a blue-collar man. Well, guess what, honey? You don't always get what you want. But if you try some time, you might find you do what you need. You get what you need, not you do what you need. Hey. <laughs> you like know what? As, Richard, as Keith Richards said. Oh, Rolling Stones. As Keith Richards said. 
I never had a problem with drugs. I only had a problem with the cops. God, that that man's going to outlive us all. I'm waiting to go to the Museum of Natural, the Smithsonian Natural History Museum. I'm going to look at that um, display they have of cave paintings. I'm going to see if Keith is up there. I'm sure he is. So with all this henpecking that Clarnell did, this would cause his dad to make trips away from the family every so often. He would just go. Don't know where he's going. Don't know what he's doing. But he'd just leave. Well, this would leave Ed at the mercy of his mom and his older sisters. Now, when these trips would happen, Ed was often banished to the basement to live. Now, his mom figured, you know, he's going to molest my daughter, so I'm going to put him down there in the basement. Now, what time, you know, what father and son time they did have, and this is going to be true for someone else we're going to cover later on. Ed's father taught his son how to kill with a bayonet and a knife. You know, stuff he picked up in the war. Well, through all the separation and everything, the parents divorced in 61. Whatever skills Ed, Daddy Ed could muster as a father and a husband, well, he saved for his new family. Now, as young as eight, Ed had thoughts of killing his mom. This shows you how well she was liked by Ed. So Clarnell remarried and, and you know, treated this man the same as she had with her first husband. Ed's stepfather tried his best to bond with Ed, but Ed didn't really want to bond with him. At the age of 13, Ed had thoughts about killing his stepfather as well. I, I think in the one report that I read, they were fishing and uh, sitting on a bridge, and Ed just thought about pushing him off the bridge and into the water. So, you know, with all these thoughts going around, parents don't know. They go out east to visit uh, one of Clarnell's sisters in New York City. So, you know, you're in New York. You want to what? What do you do when you go to New York? You know, you go to Times Square, Central Park, Empire State Building. Well, they go to the Empire State Building, and Ed makes a a run. Break out in a dead run to the edge of the building because he wants to jump off and fall like King Kong did at the end of the at the end of the movie. But his aunt caught him. Hey, we all all have dreams. We're not sure if it was a prank or not. Pretty sure it was a prank. But Ed would often lie in the lie in the road and wait for cars to stop, thinking they ran him over. Then he'd get up, walk away laughing. Kemper had a dark fantasy life. He performed rites with his younger sister's dolls that culminated in his removing their heads and hands. Don't really think that's part of the whole funeral ritual, but. One occasion when his elder sister, Susan Huey Kemper, teased him and asked him why he did not try to kiss his teacher, he replied, if I kiss her, I'd have to kill her first. He also recalled that as a young boy, he would sneak out of his house and, armed with his father's bayonet, 
go to a second grade teacher's house to watch her through the windows. He stayed in time, man. Yeah. He stated in later interviews that some of his favorite games to play as a child were gas chamber and electric chair, in which he asked his younger sister to tie him up and flip an imaginary switch. He would then tumble over. I'd play gas chamber too, but that was a different, there was a different way that I played. I'd I'd eat a bowl of chili and lie in bed and, you know, stick my ex-wife's head under the covers as I, you know. Such a gentleman. Uh, what? Such a gentleman. Hey, she made the chili. Uh, pretending that he was being executed by gas inhalation or electric shock. He also had close to death experiences as a child. Once when his elder sister tried to push him in front of a train and another time when she successfully pushed him into the deep end of a swimming pool where he almost drowned. The, the train one. Uh, she pushed him in front of it, but he he ran away before uh-huh. the train got to him. And the swimming pool, he swam. She, oh, she didn't so. realize he could swim. Oh, so. He'd been swimming in the pool going, ha ha, nice yeah, try, yeah, right? sis. Uh-huh. After his father, he grew up an only child. Um, all right, and so is James, actually. Yeah, but I mean, like smart kids, you get to miss. You missed out on sibling rivalry, man. It, it you know, it'll toughen yeah. you up. Yeah, but except I've seen how you know siblings also treat after, and I'm like, yeah, don't need it. Thank you. After his father left, Ed would often bounce between living with his mother and father. This didn't work out since his stepmother was afraid of Ed because he would stare at her. This made. Her uncomfortable. I wonder, I wonder and, if he looked like this. Yeah, you want to stop doing that, please? Thank you. Yeah, see that <laughs> exactly like that. And she forbade him from staying there. In 1963, he went with his father on a visit to his grandparents' house. Before the trip, Clarnell had called his father, her father, right? Damn. No, he went to his 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 uh. Paternal grandparents. Okay. This is, oh, but yeah. Yeah. She gotcha. called dad. Right. Like, yeah, sorry. This, there has been too much stuff going on for me to have reread this before. So don't be surprised if he kills your parents. Oh, I'll be obvious right now, but yeah. Okay. Clarnell had called his father and said, don't be surprised. Yeah, there we go. If Ed kills your parents. It's like, Psychic there a little bit. Ed had no idea he was staying there until his father left him after the visit. The visit only increased Ed's fantasies about killing people. Staying with his grandparents wasn't a picnic. Ed helped around the house with chores. Yeah, it's called like normal. But his grandmother was just like his mother, henpecked both his grandfather and him. Ed's fantasies had left for a while, but they returned. Grandma Kemper had a way of bringing them out in young Ed. On August 27th, 1963, Ed finally stopped fantasizing and committed his first murder. Ed had been in the kitchen with his grandma, and as usual, as she she was bitching. (laughs) Ed had grabbed the gun his father gave him and walked out the door as if he was going to shoot birds. He stopped on the front porch, took aim, and shot Grandma in the back of the head. He walked in, shot her two more times in the back, and stabbed her a couple of times. 
Satisfied with his work, he went outside to wait for Grandpa to come home. A few minutes later, Grandpa pulled up in his truck with some groceries. He walked to the back of his truck and lowered the tailgate. Ed walked up and shot Grandpa in the back of the head. He went back into the house and called his mom. The reason he gave for killing Grandpa was, I didn't want him mad that I killed Grandma. Sound reasoning? Hey, Cornell, I, can't, I can't argue with it. Uh-huh. Cornell told him to call the cops, which both of them did, and Ed turned himself in. The police came and arrested him. Ed was convicted for the murders and sent to a Tascadero hospital for the criminally insane. Yeah. I uh in, in the Ed Kemper book that I read for this, I was like she said, Okay, you'll know, call the cops. You did bad. But then she called like his dad going, See, I told you, Ed killed your parents. I told you. Uh-huh. But part of Grandma's complaining was because they had to spend more on food because Ed was gr- Ed was a growing boy. Well from Lair Pictures, yeah. <laughs> but no, she was a lot like uh she she really was a lot like Ed's mom and just grandpa was just like, Oh Jesus, this kid's gonna just go get to work done so grandma'll stop bitching for like five minutes. Uh-huh. You should hear her in her sleep, boy. She doesn't stop. Well, that was a bunch of waste that he did then, because since he got killed, so he's got home. Like, well why yeah, aren't he didn't have to run? Yeah, yeah, he, I mean, you know. We just don't know. And they missed the news and just three months later. Right. Bummer for them. They missed the whole Kennedy thing. So okay. He probably had a better shot than uh Jay or uh, Harv. Yeah. We're gonna open all that into like right. I would like to see him in yeah. I would yeah. like to see him and Lee Harv in a in a shooting contest. Yeah. Well, of course, you know, Kemper was a little closer too. So Right, but then throw in um <laughs> Oh God! I'm trying to think of the guy that uh, that shot Martin Luther King. He's what? Like him? He's from Illinois. Shocker! Actually, he's 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 from uh, Alton, Illinois, which was down near where uh, my ex girlfriend grew up. James or Ray? You think James I would- or put the three of them in shooting contest? See who wins. Oh, yeah. Well, I said if Oswald had gone as close as Kemper had, there wouldn't be any issue, and there wouldn't be no. There would be no <laughs> right. Theory. right. The, the whole magic bullet theory would have been. Uh, yeah. Bye bye. Ed was sentenced there until his 18th birthday. While he was in the prison, he was subjected to many different types of tests to figure out what was wrong with him. Ed loved the attention and began to figure the tests out, answering in ways that the administrators liked. Ed became a model prisoner and was never in trouble during his stay. And if you were to actually listen to some, Ed knows like the terms on what his condition is and everything. He's one of them smart killers. Ed was released on December 18th, 1969. And when he came out, he stood six foot nine and weighed in at a whopping two seventy-five. Which which if you think about a six nine that, that fits on the frame just perfect. You know, it, it's proportionate to the height. 
He took some time working odd jobs, but against his doctor's orders, he moved back in with mom. Well, if you think that mom had, um, you know, cleared up in, in the time that Ed was locked up, guess what, folks? You're wrong. Because she picked up right where she left off with Ed. But here's the thing. She'd moved closer to her job at Stevenson College where she worked as an administrator. But Clarnell was also a heavy drinker. You know, she'd go to work in the day. She's all prim and proper. Come home, hit that gin, and you're you're just no good like your father. So while he was out, he tried to reconnect with his father, but it didn't go well. And they never saw each other again. Now, he bought a motorcycle and ended up crashing it twice. I would have taken it would have taken me one time. Oh yeah. Well no, I mean um you killed my you know, like Right, you killed my parents. Reconnect. He, he healed his parents. I mean Th- that was part of it. Um I yeah. think I think in the book it was like, you know, he he's Ed apologized. He goes, I'm sorry I killed your parents and dad just couldn't get past it. Oh yeah, like I understand that part. So. Now, I mean, this was pre-Fonzie days, too, so, you know, Rebel Without a Cause, you know, Leader of the Pack. Yeah, I would have wrecked the motorcycle once and said, that's it, I'm done. No, Ed went another try, wrecked. So with the settlement money, he bought a two-door Ford Galaxy, which became the murder car. Well... To 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 kind of help her son out and try to dispel rumors that he might be gay, Clarnell tried to set Ed up with women she worked with, and he did manage to go on a date, but Ed had no game. He had spent most of his teen years in jail and was not familiar with the world he came back to, because this was right when uh, the Manson trials were going on. So while everyone was, you know, and I've seen comparisons because Ed and Ed and Manson both were in jail during their teens, but Manson had game with the women. Ed didn't. Yeah, I like to get freaky, don't you? You all want to get freaky with, with old Charlie, huh? So Ed would drive around and pick up hitchhikers. He would drive as far as the Oregon border and as far south as Santa Barbara. On these drives, Ed would listen and study the women, figuring out what they liked and what didn't work. He began to take mental notes, and Ed started to pack a kill kit in his car. He knew that the next time he picked up Hitchhiker, he'd go kill her. But he had a, you know, he'd like stick a a roll of um, lip balm in um, in the handle so they couldn't open it. There was a way that he rigged it, like a Bundy thing. Okay, I'm trying to imagine it, though. But I can't. Did you see a picture or something? For like, No, um, it was in the book. <laughs> but it was something like Bundy did where he could, like, rig the door. You know, he's going to open, lean over, open up the door. As they come in, he's going to close the door for them. Yeah. He's going to mm-hmm. stick something down in there so that they couldn't open the door and escape. Uh, okay. So. Although the, the one girl he did go on a date with, you know, he he did take her home, and she just she she almost became a victim, almost. 
I, I I just keep thinking of the uh the Dave Chappelle skit where um he was with uh Wayne Brady. And I was supposed to like show this evil side of Wayne Brady. And they pull up and Wayne Brady's a he's got some women on the side that he's pimping. And he goes, this one girl goes like, I forget her name, goes like Ben Franklin looks a little lonely. What's wrong? Oh, I'm sorry, Daddy. It's been a slow night. Wayne Brady gonna have to choke a bitch. And then Dave's like, no, 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 man. Literally, because you better thank Dave Chappelle. Thanks, Dave. I like your show. Run, bitch, run. Get some help. <laughs> I every time I read these stories about women hitchhiking, that's all I hear is like, run, bitch, run. <laughs> On May 7th. 1972, Kemper was driving in Berkeley. Oh, goddamn Berkeley, no. Berkeley just got done with Manson, now Ed's out patrolling the streets. He picked up two 18-year-old hitchhiking students from Fresno State University, Marianne Pesci and Anita Mary Lucessa. That's That's a good Italian name there, Lucessa. With the pretense of taking him to Stanford. After driving for an hour, he managed to reach a secluded wooded area near Alameda, with which he was familiar from his work at the highway department, without alerting his passengers that he had changed directions from where they wanted to go. It was there that he handcuffed Pesci and locked Lucessa in the trunk, then stabbed and strangled Pesci to death, subsequently killing Lucessa in a similar manner. He later confessed that while handcuffing Pesci, he brushed the back of his hand against one of her breasts, and it embarrassed him. Adding that he said, whoops, I'm sorry, or something like that, after grazing her breast despite murdering her minutes later. <laughs> and I don't mean to laugh at that, but that that's like... Well, yeah, it's like you can't eat, it's like... It's like something, something gentlemanly, like, oh... I am sorry that my hand grazed your. Yeah, it's like I went. Kemper put both of the women's bodies in the trunk of his Ford Galaxy and returned to his apartment. He was stopped on the way by a police officer for having a broken taillight, but the officer did not detect the corpses in the car. Kemper's roommate was not at home, so he took the bodies into his apartment where he photographed and had sexual intercourse. with the naked corpses before dismembering them. He then put the body parts into plastic bags, which he had later abandoned near Loma Prieta Mountain, before disposing of Pesci's and Lucessa's severed heads in the ravine. Kemper engaged in... Aramatia, that's... I, um, I actually had to look this up once. It is oral sex with a decapitated head. And the fact that they could even like find a word for that is just disturbing in itself. I mean, like it needed its own name. I mean, right? No. <laughs> I I remember when I did this one with Phil. He looked at me. He's like, "What's that?" So I looked it up real quick. And he's like, "So that's what it's called." I'm like, "You sick fuck." Yeah. Instead of like my reaction, which is normal, right? In August of that year, Pesci's skull was found on Loma Prieta Mountain. 
An extensive search failed to turn up the rest of Pesci's remains or a trace of Lucchesa. I wonder if they ever found those remains, though. Oh, you know, I'm sure in the book they would have. Right. But, you know, it's been enough years. On the evening of September 14th, 1972, Kemper picked up a 15-year-old dance student named Eka Koo, who had decided to hitchhike to a dance class after missing her bus. Run, girl, run! He again drove to a remote area where he pulled a gun on Koo before accidentally locking himself out of his car. Seriously, you're stupid. I just, I love when I read ahead. However, like Koo, Koo let him back inside. Oh my God, even worse. Despite the fact that the gun was still in the car. Sometimes you say like, Victim blaming, but it's like, well, like, it's fortunately it's been very, very, very rare. But it's sometimes it's like, oh my god, like, well, the fact that the gun was still in the car, she could have taken the gun and shot Ed. Yeah, fifteen. Oh, this was in a. This was pre. Oh, this was back before there were no shooter games. Oh, she well, still point blank, she could have got him through the wind awesome. through the window of the car. Okay, actually locking himself out of his car. So, it was, so that would mean the key was also in the car. Yeah. Okay, if she didn't even know how to drive, that's how you learn real fast. <laughs> right. I mean, it's not even like, okay, the key's in the car, but he's got a gun. You don't, like, even... But you got the key he's and got the, the gun. gun. Got the, oh, God, girl! Jesus! Oh. Are, but okay, think of it like this: You're 15. You, this man's kidnapped you. Are you thinking straight in that moment? No, but I'd probably be able to think straight enough. Like, oh wait a minute, he's uh, okay. You know, like I wouldn't let him back in the car. <laughs> okay, I might that, freak out for, but I'm not gonna like. Okay, other in the car. Right. After, I have like I have to find that later. But there's two girls that were. Um, this is like probably like 15 years ago. Um kidnapped they did not know each other they end up working together to certainly get away from the okay. yeah and they were basically they i think they were under 18 too so between 15 and 18 so oh. okay anyway yeah back inside the car he proceeded to choke her unconscious rape her and kill her shocker kemper subsequently Wentley packed Koo's body into the trunk of his car and went to a nearby bar to have a few drinks, then returned to his apartment. He later confessed that after exiting the bar, he opened the trunk of his car, admiring his catch like a fisherman. Yeah, it's more basically like the fish when they belly up and says, I give up. I just, I can't. Back in his apartment, he had sexual intercourse with the corpse, then dismembered and disposed of the remains in a similar manner as his previous two victims. Ku's mother called the police to report the disappearance of her daughter and put up hundreds of flyers asking for information, but she did not receive any responses regarding her daughter's location or status. Cuckoo, cuckoo. Mm-hmm. I've been waiting to use that one. <laughs> On January 7th, 1973, some Buddy was almost born, who had moved back in with his mother, was driving. Close. I said almost, Close. yeah, the 12th. That's why I said almost. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I was basking in the glow of my mother. Gone. I want help. 
was driving yeah. around the Cabrillo this, College campus when he this picked is, up. This is my father. God, I'm screwed. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> well, James thought he was, like, moving in with the Golden Girls, so, you know. I've been like, man, I, like, I'm disappointed. I was way with Sophia. Picked up 18-year-old student Cindy and Cindy Shaw. He drove to a wooded area and fatally shot her with a 22 caliber pistol. He then placed her body in the trunk of his car and drove to his mother's house, where he kept her body hidden in a closet in his room overnight. When his mother left for work the next morning, he had sexual intercourse with and removed the bullet from Shaw's corpse, then dismembered and decapitated her in his mother's bathtub. Why do I sound so chipper? <laughs> I'm, like, I'm just like reading. Emperor kept Shaw's severed head for several days, regularly engaging in that thing with it, <laughs> and buried it in his mother's garden, facing upward toward her bedroom. I remember reading that part from something else. After his arrest, he stated that he did this because his mother always wanted people to look up to her. Yeah, I remember that. He discarded the rest of Shaw's remains by throwing them off a cliff. Over the course of the following few weeks, all except Shaw's head and right hand were discovered and pieced together like a macabre jigsaw puzzle. A pathologist. Would you like to play a game? The rules of the game are simple. Yeah, I, I hate them. Ugh. Except, yeah, the first with Carrie. A pathologist determined that Shaw had been cut into pieces with a power saw. On February 5th, 1973, I was still drawing my first breaths in this world. After a heated argument with his mother, Kemper left his house in search of a possible victim. Oh, in search of possible victims. Mom mom got him mad. He was going for two. But Ed already did his double event. That was what kicked it all off. With heightened suspicion of a serial killer preying on hitchhikers in the Santa Cruz area, students had been advised to accept rides only from cars with university stickers on them. Smart move. In theory. <laughs> Camper was able to obtain a sticker as his mother worked at US or UCSC. Like I, I said. I'd be like, why the hell do you want a sticker? Especially well, back then, you know, you you needed a sticker to park on campus. Yes, but why do you, like, if I was his mom, I'd be like, why do you need a sticker? After they come out with this, like... Uh, unless Ed... Well, unless she took Ed's car someday, or if he had to go pick her up, at, take her to work and pick her up... That's not parking, a, that's just picking up. That's Right, but there's... Yeah, I think I still have been like, Hmm. <laughs> Why do you need a stinker? I'm gonna make her sound like Ross from from uh Monsters Inc. Why you want a parking sticker, Ed? You're a no good lump of human flesh, just like your father. See, I've become so jaded with all the stuff now. <laughs> all right. He encountered 23-year-old Rosalind Heather Thorpe and 20-year-old Alice Helen Allison Liu on the UCSC campus. According to Kemper, Thorpe entered the car first, reassuring Liu to also enter. 
He first fatally shot Thorpe and then Lou with his pistol and wrapped their bodies in blankets. He again brought the victims back to his mother's house. This time he beheaded them in his car and carried the headless corpses into his mother's house to have sexual intercourse with them. We call that necrophilia, people. Or my marriage, whichever one you want. He then dismembered the bodies, removed the bulls to prevent identification, and discarded the remains the next morning. Some remains were found at Eden Canyon a week later, and more were found near Route 1 in March. I, and at one point, Ed wanted to be a cop, and he'd, he'd hang out at a, at a cop bar. This might be farther in the story, but he, he would hang out at a car, cop bar, and part of it was just to hear how close they were to finding him. But like I said, Ed was 6'7". There ain't no way he could have been a cop. It's like Shaq being a cop, you know? Good Lord knows he's tried. I think he's actually, he's got the, the badge and everything, but... Yeah, some volunteer thing that's like, yeah, volunteer. Right, but I, I keep thinking of the, um, I keep thinking of the Cat Williams joke where, you know, Shaq pulls a guy over, do you have drugs in the car? Can you make a free throw? Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, when questioned in an interview as to why he decapitated his victims, he explained, the head, trip fantas- the head trip fantasies were a bit like a trophy. You know, the head is where everything is at. The brain, eyes, mouth, that's the person. I remember being told as a kid, you cut off the head and the body dies. The body is nothing after the head is cut off. Well, that's not quite true. There's a lot left in the girl's body without the head. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. On April 20th, 1973, after coming home from a party, 52-year-old Clarnell Strandberg, which had probably been her third husband, awakened her son with her arrival. Oh, I mean, she probably was came in the house rip-snorting, drunk, stumbling, knocking things over. While sitting in her bed reading a book, she noticed Kemper enter a room and said to him, I suppose you're going to want to sit up all night and talk now. He replied, no, good night. He then waited for her to fall asleep. Then he snuck back into a room to bludgeon her with a claw hammer and slit her throat with a penknife. He then decapitated her. And he gauged an uramashio with her severed head, then used it as a dartboard. Okay, I get the dartboard, but, but why the other part, man? That's your mom. Yeah, that's just, I mean, right. yeah, it's like decapitating, blood, all that, but yeah, we're really pushing it now with the, the right. Yeah. No, he stated that he put her head on a shelf and screamed at it for an hour, threw darts at it, and ultimately smashed her in the face, or smashed her face in. I Well, I can also see him doing this to his mom as a way of getting back at all the years of the uh, abuse she put him through. He also cut out her tongue and larynx and put them in the garbage disposal. However, the garbage disposal could not break down the tough vocal cords and injected the tissue back into the sink. That seemed appropriate. 
As much as she bitched and screamed and yelled at me over so many years, he later said. Kemper hid his mother's corpse in a closet and went to drink at a nearby bar. Upon his return, he invited his mother's best friend, 59-year-old Sarah Taylor, Sally Hallett, over to the house to have dinner and watch a movie. When Hallett arrived, Kemper strangled her to death to create a cover story that his mother and Hallett had gone away together on vacation. He subsequently put Hallett's corpse in a closet, obscured any outward signs of a disturbance, and left a note to the police. It read, approximately 5.15 a.m. Saturday, no need for her to suffer anymore at the hands of this horrible, murderous butcher. It was quick, asleep, the way I wanted it. Not sloppy and complete, gents. Just a, quote, lack of time. I got things to do. Afterward, Kemper fled the scene. He drove nonstop to Pueblo, Colorado, taking caffeine pills to stay awake for the over 1,000-mile journey. He had three guns and hundreds of rounds of ammunition in his car, and he believed he was the target of an act of manhunt. After not hearing any news on the radio about the murders of his mother and Hallett, when he arrived in Pueblo, he found a phone booth and called the police. He confessed to the murders of his mother and Hallie, but the police did not take his call seriously and told him to call back at a later time. He, he did what? He, he, yeah. he killed your mom? You know what? It's, it's like, friend? Yeah. It's like two in the morning. You woke me up from a nap. Um, where you said you're calling from again? Pueblo? Can you pick me up one of them correspondence school catalogs while you're there? <laughs> That was a big thing when I was a kid. Pueblo had this catalog of uh-huh. correspondence school. And one of the courses you could take in your home, veterinary science. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Go, good luck practicing neutering and spaying the family pets when they don't even want to be around you, you know? Yep. Several hours later, Kemper called again, asking to speak to an officer he personally knew. He confessed to that officer of killing his mother and Hallett, then waited for the police to arrive and take him into custody. Upon his capture, Kemper also confessed to the murders of the six students. When asked in a later interview why he turned himself in, Kemper said, The original purpose was gone. It wasn't serving any physical or real or emotional purpose. It was just a pure waste of time. Emotionally, I couldn't handle it much, much longer. Toward the end there, I started feeling the folly of the whole damn thing. And at the point of near exhaustion, near collapse, I just said to hell with it and called it all off. Kemper was indicted on eight counts of first-degree murder on May 7, 1973. He was assigned the chief public defender of Santa Cruz County, attorney Jim Jackson. Due to Kemper's explicit and detailed confession, his counsel's only option was to plead not guilty by reason of insanity to the charges. You did what? You, you, you did what? Oh, fuck, you're insane. Hamper twice tried to commit suicide in custody. Okay, how in the hell could he have done that? He's 6'7". Hanging is not an option. And... They give you plastic silverware in, in prison. 
or in jail. Not that, not that I know. I've I've had friends who've gone. His trial went ahead on October twenty third, nineteen seventy three, just in time for Halloween. Three court appointed psychiatrists found Kemper to be legally sane. One of them, Doctor Joel Fort, investigated his juvenile records and the diagnosis that he was once psychotic. Fort also interviewed Kemper, including under truth serum and relayed to the court that Kemper had engaged in cannibalism, alleging that he sliced flesh off from the legs of his victims, then cooked and consumed these strips of flesh in a casserole. Can't be as bad as what I saw in Worst Cooks, but... I was watching Worst Cooks in America the other day, and someone made a chili dog casserole. Just why? Well, it, basically, they take people who don't know how to cook. And teach them and, even worse and, ways. And, <laughs> and teach them how to cook. And some turn out pretty good. Well, mm. this guy, for the noodles, he used hot dog buns. But he didn't, you know, you're supposed to grill the inside of the bun. Just a light coating on the grill. No, he, he, he burnt the outer part of the bun. Then he put the chili on top of the buns. And then the hot dogs on top of the chili. Mm. I can't. Good thing I already ate. Okay, it sounds good, but I I just want a regular chili dog. Yeah. Nevertheless, Fort determined that Camper was fully cognizant in each case and stated that Camper enjoyed the prospect of the infamy associated with being labeled a murderer. Camper later recanted the confession of cannibalism. Now, California used it. Uh, the Naughton Standard, which held that for a defendant to establish a defense on the grounds of insanity, it must be clearly proved that at the time of the committing of the act, the party accused which was laboring under such a defect of reason from disease of mind and not to know the nature and quality of the act he was doing, or if he did know it, that he did not know he was doing it or what he was doing was wrong. No, no, Ed knew. He appeared to have known that the nature of his acts was wrong and had shown signs of malice aforethought. On November 1st, Kemper took the stand. Oh, I would have loved to have seen that. As much as I would have loved to have seen like Charlie take the stand, I'd have lo loved to have seen that take the stand. He testified that he killed the victims because he wanted them for myself like possessions and attempted to convince the jury that he was insane based on the reasoning that his actions could have been committed only by someone with an aberrant mind. He said that two beings inhabited his body and that when the killer personality took over, it was kind of like blacking out. On November 8th, 1973, the six-man, six-woman jury deliberated for five hours before declaring him sane and guilty on all, all counts. You're screwed. Now, Ed asked for the death penalty, requesting that death by torture. Now, if you go death by torture, what are you choosing? The rack? The wheel? Guillotine? The Algerian hook? Guillotine's too fast. Oh, have you ever heard of the Algerian hook? It, it was as big, like, I remember seeing this in a wax museum at the... Oh, wait, I mean, like in the... 
Why we do? Yeah, like in the post stuff. Well, what what happened is uh, they they hook it into your sides and hang you from it. Oh no, I was thinking the the Poe book story that was. Oh, the pit know. and the pendulum. Yeah, that's it. No, the Algerian hook was this big hook that's that they mental. that they put into your um into your sides, and as your as the weight of your body was bringing you down, the hook would rip through you. Very few people survived the Algerian hook. Anybody survived? <laughs> so glad I already ate. Hey, I spent some time as a kid studying medieval torture methods. I missed my calling in life. Yeah, we know what you have done if you had lived back then. Yes. Uh, oh, I couldn't possibly put him in until next Thursday. That's my uh, tribute to Blazing Saddles. Okay, so. However, with a moratorium placed on capital punishment by the Supreme Court of California, he instead received seven years to life for each count, with these terms to be served concurrently, and was sentenced to the California Medical Facility in Vacaville. In the California Medical Facility, Kemper was incarcerated in the same prison block with other notorious criminals such as Herbert Mullen and our boy Charlie! Yay, Charlie. Now, he showed no particular disdain for Mullen, who committed his murders at the same time and in the same area as Kemper. He described Mullen as just a cold-blooded killer, killing everyone he saw for no good reason. Now, Kemper manipulated and physically intimidated Mullen, who at five feet nine inches was a foot shorter than him. Kemper stated that Mullen had a habit of singing and bothering people when someone tried to watch TV. So I threw water on him to shut him up. Then, when he was a good boy, I'd give him peanuts. Herbie liked peanuts. That was effective because pretty soon he asked permission to sing. That's called behavior modification treatment. Kemper remains among the general population prison as and is considered a model prisoner. He was in charge of scheduling other inmates' appointments with psychiatrists and was an accomplished craftsman of ceramic cups. He was also a prolific narrator of audiobooks. A 1987 Los Angeles Times article stated that he was the coordinator of the prison's program and had personally spent over 5,000 hours narrating books with several hundred completed recordings to his name. Kemper was retired from these positions in 2015 after he experienced a stroke and was declared medically disabled. He received his first rules violation report in 2016 for failing to provide a urine sample. Would you like to know what books Ed Kemper has read? Was it like, isn't there like V.C. Andrews book or something on there, I think? Flowers in the Attic. Yeah. Petals, uh-huh. um, petals in the, on the Wind. Uh, Dashiell Hammett's The Glass Key, The Rosary Murders. You think they would keep him away from some of those, like, you know, in a way. He also did Star Wars. And Sidney Sheldon's If Tomorrow Comes, 
and Windmills of the Gods are just some of the books that he's recorded. I think one of the uh, one of the documentaries I saw on him they were they had filmed him recording Star Wars. Oh. No. While in prison, Kemper has participated in a number of interviews, including a segment in the 1982 documentary "The Killing of America." as well as an appearance in the 1984 documentary, Murder, No Apparent Motive. His interviews have contributed to the understanding of the mind of serial killers. FBI profiler John Douglas described Kemper as among the brightest prison inmates he interviewed and capable of rare insight for a violent criminal. He further added that he personally liked Kemper, referring to him as friendly, open, sensitive, and having a good sense of humor. Kemper is forthcoming about the nature of his crimes and has stated that he participated in the interviews to save others like himself from killing. At the end of his murder, no apparent motive interview, he said, there's somebody out there that is watching this and hasn't done that, hasn't killed people and wants to and rages inside and struggles with that feeling or is so sure they have it under control. They need to talk to somebody about it. Trust somebody enough to sit down and talk about something that isn't a crime thinking that way isn't a crime doing it isn't just a crime it's a horrible thing it doesn't know when to quit and it can't be stopped easily once it starts he also conducted an interview with french writer stefan bourgeois i can oh I can do it bourgeois yeah. in 1991 kemper was first eligible for parole in 1979 he was denied parole that year as well as at parole hearings in 1980, 1981, and 1982. He subsequently waived his right to a hearing in 1985. He was denied parole at his 1988 hearing, where he said, society is not ready in any shape or form for me. I can't fault them for that. He was denied parole again in 1991 and in 1994. He then waived his right to a hearing in 1997 and in 2002. He attended the next hearing in 2007, where he was again denied parole. Prosecutor Ariad Simmons said, we don't care how much of a model prisoner he is because of the enormity of his crimes. Kemper waived his right to a hearing again in 2012. 20, ah, sorry, 2012. He was denied parole in 2017 and is next eligible in 2024. He ain't getting out. Nah. Ed's going to die in prison. I think he is like he's in the 70s now. And I guess the, that would be 70. Like I said the, yeah. at, at the last like he's one seven, of the yeah. yeah 74. I think it one of the last or I I had known um, I was watching something on him. And this is the point now where he just, he doesn't grant interviews anymore. He just wants to be left alone. You know, just wait out his days in prison. Yeah, since he's also, you know, institutionalized and all that. Well, anyway. right. Right. It's like, it's like that scene in uh, Shawshank. Oh, we're not just, but yeah, we know we're talking about, but yes, you, you don't like Shawshank? We'll discuss later. 
That's a good movie. I know. What can we just like? <laughs> You'd like it. It was recording, but we'll get you, to the, the the updated true crime. Yeah. News. Oh yes, uh, Robert Blake died. Oh yeah, that's one. I, I if you remember twenty. Good lord, twenty-two years almost next in May. That Bonnie Lee Bakley was murdered I, sitting outside of Vitello's restaurant. In I'm, I'm going to get some book. I'm going to get a book on that case because. Oh. I grew up watching Blake on Beretta. And then in the 80s, he was on Helltown. And he also played John List, too. Yeah, he did. I, I saw that picture. Or 93, yeah. Well, I, I saw the picture um, with him and Capote. Uh, yeah, from... Well, no. Well, John List was a totally different killer, too, obviously. Right, but uh, I, he did... That was a Clutter family. The Capote thing, yeah. which was one of my parents' first dates, too, as I posted. But they, um, I also knew Beretta as one of the little rascals named Mickey. Uh huh. And also that, too. Um, so, which is also part of the thing with at the Academy Awards why, well, Kimmel made the joke about Blake not being included in the memoriams. Okay. But I'm like, well, there's obviously a reason for that. Yeah. It was just because he had recently died. It was like, yeah, it's a whole Bakley thing. Yeah, found, you know, not guilty. But I said. But then found guilty in the civil trial. Yeah. But I ate there back in 2009, of course. Nice. Hmm. And. So the takeout menu still had the Robert Blake on it. Not the regular menu, but the takeout that which is cool. Oh, yeah, right. I decided to, well, it was like, you know, you bring it with you anyway. So I brought it with me. I still have it somewhere. And then there's the uh, Murdoch murders this week or last well, week. Yeah, the conviction. Right. I need to read up on that. Yeah, there's, I forget which one, there's, I think, which series, I listened to a podcast last summer. My uh, Netflix has I don't really know anything again, but yeah, the whole family was just, it's like the whole, um, back from where I used to live, there was a local family, but Everybody, the mom, the dad, the son, the daughter, I believe everybody except for the mom had ended up, fortunately, not on purpose, but killing somebody. So there's that. And so, but yeah, so basically they're Murdoch, Blake, and oh, the one ad killer. That was actually more in the 40s. He was 95, died in prison. I know it's not Ed Gein. He's already dead. Well, yeah, like he died like a thousand years ago. 94, which seems like a thousand years ago now. The Harvey Carrigan. Mm. But yeah, born May 18th, 1927. So yeah, he was 
Oh, man. Slightly old. But yeah, he previously convicted of 1949 rape and murder. So yeah, I mean, it's Right. Crimes. Yeah, 49 to 74, though. And also the big news with the Academy Awards. So, yeah. Oh, right. Right. Her man, Brendan Freeman. The happier news. (laughs) You know, I, I was in Walmart the other day with my mom, and I just saw the whale on the stands. I don't think it ever played here. Well, the only reason I got to see it was it was playing about 40, it finally got local. And by local, I mean like 45 minutes away. So fortunately, I have um, one of James' friends. He slept over their house that night, so... No, so I, I was like, thank I you so much. That's the only reason I got to see it in theater. I don't think it played here. Yeah. Or in my area, it might have. I don't know. I mm-hmm. I was waiting. You have noticed him. <laughs> right. Well, I know. I think the last movie I went and saw was Cocaine Bear. Yeah. Great movie. And then- now apparently I have to go see the Super Mario Brothers movie. Which yeah, I I, I want to see that one, but I I'm going this weekend to see Shazam: Fury of the Gods. Okay, yes, yeah, I'm going with a nine year old. So yeah, <laughs> I just want to go see Mario because I, I like playing the games. Yeah, I mean it looks kind of cute, you know. Yeah, but they better had to make than, a uh, parent too. But a lot better than the uh, Bob Hoskins John Leguizamo one from the nineties. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was too old to go see that supposedly, but had no real interest, and also remember hearing those you know, bad. All right, I guess that's going to wrap this one up for us, folks. I am one step closer to getting us on iTunes. We just need a uh, a cover art that's going to fit the uh, pixel parameters. Yeah, uh, and also like this is. I guess you can look back for the exact date, though. But this is around my one-year anniversary, too. Right. Monica's like, brought... And, yeah. Like, she, she's brought class to the show, folks. Aw, that's so sweet. I think we were like, the way you looked, I think you are going to be like, biggest mistake I ever made. No. <laughs> like, no, I, 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 don't re- I don't regret doing this show because... It, you know, it, it's and then it's, with me, put or bring me on. Oh no, God, <laughs> God, no! I couldn't. Phil hasn't talked to me since the night he left. I was like, what before this? What well, pandemic too? Right, like, right. It, you know, because it's been five years. I keep coming up. The memories coming up. Yeah, it was five years ago. They were, I was like, oh my god. I know five years. I, yeah, five I was, years. When I, since I've been to Phil, all right, my first trip to Philly. God, I love yeah. that. Love, love that city. And Washington, and James was a cute little four-year-old, and still, yeah, using the stroller like long trips and ugh, nice. Right, me and him looking and look, going up and checking out Skylab. Yeah, 
so cute. Ain't no way. My, almost as, like, he's up to my shoulders now. Ain't no way my fat ass would have made it as an astronaut. Uh-huh. I'd have got stuck in Skylab. <laughs> been like, well, you've been the one, the guinea pig that constantly just sat up there and been like, yep. Oh my God. I'm stuck. There's mm-hmm. someone, there's someone get me out of here. I'm going to get a shoehorn. I'm stuck in the doorway. That sounds like the Chris Gow. It was the Borden cow. And then also Clarabelle was also a Disney Yeah, I I knew she was a Disney. Yeah. So. Someone get some of that space grease and lube me up so I can get out of the doorway. Oh, my God. I'm a fat boy. Where's doctor now when you need him? Oh, chunky, chunky. <laughs> well, then, because <laughs> tomorrow we're going to the aquarium. Oh, with, nice! Yeah, with actually James' friend, they slept over that night, and I was like, I'm like, thank you for I got to see the movie in theater. I'm like, how about like thirty, thirty one years with him? And I don't get to see the biggest movie of his career in the theater. I'm like that is just. A crime um, in itself. If, there could have been I a whole to, episode on that. <laughs> just if I want to watch Brendan Fraser, I'll just pop in the mummy. I feel like a whole bunch more now, too. All right. You know where to find us, folks. I'm working to get us on iTunes, but once I do, I'll let you know. Kills, cults, and nut jobs. I'm Scotty J. Say goodnight, Monica. Good night, Brendan. <laughs>